words from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. All right, today I want to preach on what the Lord is expecting. What the Lord is expecting. What the Lord is expecting. Um, I'll say something that will worry your theology and destroy your religiosity, if I can use that word. And the reason I'm saying that is... In our theology, it looks as if the church is waiting for Jesus. But actually, it is Jesus waiting for the church. Hear this well. A man once prayed and said, Oh, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he said, as soon as he prayed that prayer, God answered him, Where are the Elijahs of God? So I cannot be the God of Elijah if there's no Elijah around. What is Jesus expecting? The Lord is expecting something. We always read it, but we gloss over it. For instance, in religion, we say that Jesus does not know the time he will come for the church. He does. The moment you say he does not know the time, then you have denied him date. Because God is all-knowing. So he knows. So we have to find out why he made such a statement. Then you understand that it was traditional for grooms to say that to betroth the bride. That I betroth you now, but the time and an hour I know not, except my father. Because in the Jewish culture, you do not do the wedding in the woman's church. You do it in the father's house. So the ceremony is done in the house of the groom's father. Jewish brides are stolen in the night. So he says, I'll come like a thief in the night. We buy wedding gowns in our day, but the Jews sold their own wedding gown. Proverbs 31, you have taught the virgins how to sew their linen garments. That is a wedding garment. So the day you'll be thought, song says, we have a little sister she has no breast. What shall we do in the day she's asked off in marriage? That speaks of maturity. So it means the day you're betrothed, you are asked to sew your own wedding gown. On the day you are done, sir, there are spies watching. So the day they realize you are done with your sewing, they steal you in the night. And you are actually escorted by a group of maidens called the virgins. So if you understand how Matthew is, Matthew is highly Jewish. That second Matthew 24, excuse me to say, does not apply to the church. It doesn't apply to the church. Because it says, if you see the abomination of the desolation in the temple, flee to the mountains of Judea. I don't think there's a mountain of Judea in Nigeria. That means Jesus is saying, the day the abomination shows up, Nigerians are in trouble. Because we don't have a mountain of Judea. So Matthew is highly Jewish. Wave your hands to Jesus Christ. I knew to disturb you, but listen to what I'm going to say. It will help you. So when Jesus said to them, the hour and the time I do not know, and knoweth no man. God has even withheld it from the angels. Why? Because that hour is dependent on the church. If the church does not get to maturity, Jesus cannot come for us. 
because he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing there in Ephesians 5, verse 27. So he's coming for a church without spot, without wrinkle. So as you speak right now, as we sit right now, it says the king's daughter in, in Psalm 45, verse 13, 14, is all glorious within, for she's arrayed with fine needlework of embroidery. That's her wedding gown. So the Jewish bridegroom comes to the house and the moment the bride accepts him, he leaves a gift. The moment the church accepted Jesus Christ, Jesus left the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because if you understand how the Holy Ghost is, he was both the item and the person that secured Rebecca for Isaac. Eliezer. El, God. Azar, help. So Eliezer means the help of God which is translated as the comforter. He went to look for a bride, Rebecca, for her husband, Isaac. And when he got there, he went with gifts. And she was decked with gifts from Isaac for her presentation to Isaac. So say this to you today. Every spiritual gift, the anointing, the impartations, the gift of prophecy, that's your adornment for your beautification for your groom. Now hear me well. And of course, with every gift that God gives us, there's a tendency for idolatry. He says, go to the house of Egypt and ask them of the gold. Then these guys get to time and start wearing it. So the moment they used it for self, the automatic response was, it will be made into a golden calf. The moment you use the gift of God for yourself, it's going to lead you into idolatry. Amen. <laughs> so Jesus says, the hour and the moment know no man. You can check it. That's how they talk. And whilst the maiden is sewing her garment, he's watching. And he says something. I go to my father's house and I go to prepare a place. But there's something the bride also has to do. Because oftentimes we say, Jesus said he's going to his father's house to prepare a place for us. That's actually preparing the location for the wedding ceremony. That's why when God raptures the church, the wedding does not occur on the earth. He carries us into the clouds because the lamb's wife has made herself ready. The marriage supper of the lamb is set. Then he'll bring us back to the earth to rule. So his father's house is where the wedding ceremony occurs when it comes for the bride, the church. But this is what happens. He tells the bride that there's a job for you to do. Psalm 45, the verse number 10 says, he says, Oh, rejoice, daughter of Zion. Oh, glory in the Lord your God. And he says, forget the people of thine own half and even your father's house. Can you put it up for me? Psalm 45, verse 10. Then he says, so thy king shall desire thee. So the bride's job is to forget her father's house. What that simply means is that when you were born, your father's house, no, verse 10, your father's house actually is Adam. And he said you ought to forget those people, the Adamic family. So that when you do this, and the semicolon means that 10 and 11 are together, verse 11 says, so, so it's conditional. So the king will desire thy beauty. That means that we do not have to become earthy. We are of the heavenly class. So he says, oh, 
If therefore ye be risen together with Jesus Christ, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, set your affections on things above and not on things beneath. Because you have to set your desire. You have to come to the place where the Holy Ghost is saying, come Lord Jesus. But the church is saying, don't come now because I need to marry. I need to rule. I need to be a president. I need to get a car. Don't come now. Imagine you have a long-distance relationship and your spouse or your betrothed calls you from the States and says, I want to marry you next year. You're like, no, don't come. How is, your, how is the man going to feel? I want to come for you. You're like, no, don't come. Wait. He'll begin to wonder if you really want to marry him. And that's what we keep doing to Jesus. We keep saying, don't come now. Because perhaps we are doing things we don't want him to meet us doing. So the moment you tell the guy, don't come now, he'll begin to investigate who is in her life that has taken her attention that she's not desiring for me to come. So he says, there's something God is expecting from us. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, the verse number 17, he says, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may grant unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of your understanding be flooded with light that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. So the calling is not your calling. We quote it, your calling. But look at it, capital H-I-S. His calling. So the calling is for him. And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance, not your inheritance, in the same. So as you sit here, you are the lost treasury bill. You are the lost investment. A merchant man went and found a field of pricely cost. He sold all he had and came for it. You are God's investment. I'm telling you. So in other words, we think we are going to inherit God. But truly, God is going to inherit us. Because you are God's inheritance in the saints. Paul says something very powerful. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. He said, for we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What that means is this. Every nation, sir, has a treasury. The national treasury of America is, you know, the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve has all your gold and all that. Uh-huh. Now, when you go to the pyramids of Giza, that's where the treasury of Egypt is. Israel had its treasury in the temple. So when the book of Nizah came, he went into the temple and took everything out of it. All the gold, all the caps, took it out. That was the treasury of Israel. You know the treasury of God? So all heaven has is inside you. You are God's treasury bill. I wish somebody saw that. That's why you're so precious. You're so precious to Jesus. No, you know why? He doesn't heal you because you, you, you feel or you think he should heal you. He heals you because you are his investment. You know how, you, how I wish people understood this and break away from the spirit of, of, of religion. You got to break away. Because the Bible says in Ezekiel's temple, the spirit hovered. And the Bible says it left the center of the uh, of the holy place and came to the eastern door of the temple. Then at the eastern door, it was lingering. Will anybody ask me to stay? Then he went to the eastern mountain. And the Bible said the, the, the spirit was just waiting. Will someone just crave that I be? He lingered to leave. Contrary to popular belief, the Holy Ghost does not hasten to leave. Because we think he's a Pentecostal Tao. And we explain biblical things from people's personal experience. Sorry, the Bible is true and all men are liars. So the fact that you sinned and you saw a dove leave your body doesn't mean the Holy Ghost does that. 
He's not a disembodied Pentecostal dove looking for who to rest upon Sunday after Sunday. Even David said in Psalm 129 verse 7 and 8, he says, where shall I run from thy presence? When I go to hell, your presence, the spirit is there. Even the Holy Ghost is in hell. Where? What is as hellish as hell that the Holy Ghost? You remember the last time you were in the club? You were boom, boom, boom. You were dancing to Buga. All of us, the Holy Ghost said, what are you doing here? So the Holy Ghost is even in the club. You got to know who God is. You've made God a humanoid. You've made God anthropomorphic. So you think God is as petty as you are. You know, everyone that thinks that God cannot forgive them will automatically struggle when people are saying you are forgiven. Because as the measure of forgiveness you've received will determine the measure you can accept that you're forgiven. So people who struggle to forgive people is because they, don't even, they are even struggling to receive. That's why God says, if you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. So it means the proportion of the ability to forgive easily is the proportion of the ability to have received forgiveness from God. He's expecting. He's expecting. He's expecting. You are in his investment. He's expecting. Yes. He said, my father is the husband man. I am the vine. John 15, 1. Then he says in James chapter 5, be patient therefore unto the coming of the Lord. For the husband man, James 5, 7, the husband man has long patience for the precious fruit of the earth. And before that precious fruit of the earth comes alive, he is going to wait for the appearing of the former and the latter rain. He said, rejoice, O daughter of, Z- of Jerusalem. Oh, rejoice, O daughter of Zion. He said, for the Lord has come unto you and has given unto you the former rain moderately, but he shall cause to come down. Joel 2.23, shall cause to come down the former and the last rain in the first month. He said, he has given unto you the former rain moderately. The word former rain in the Hebrew is the word moreh. You get the word moriah. And the word moreh is actually the teachers of righteousness. I think that there's a problem in the chat today. We don't have, we have many teachers, but not teachers of righteousness. Because you know, the doctrine of righteousness, Paul said, if you are not skilled in it, you're a babe. That means that if you are still struggling with the fact that God has forgiven you, you are still struggling. So maturity is not who you cast out of a body. Babes can do that. In fact, the sons of Skivers were expert exorcists. So they tried casting out the spirit. And the spirit said, I'm not in that category where you collect money. I'm in a certain rank. Paul, I know. He said, Paul, actually in the Greek says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. Who are you? They were expert exorcists. So they were not trying it for the first time. They were, if you study our sons of Skiva, they were experts. They collect money to cast out spirits from people without Jesus. No, if you don't break away from that theology, you think Jesus is all about casting out devils. No. Because you see, there's something beyond that. The casting out of devils is making room for the extension of his kingdom. The kingdom of God is not an emphatic position of a crusade for a land. That land will be redeemed in the day to come. But the extension of the kingdom of God is a soul at a time. A heart at a time. Because Zechariah 12, 1 says, he created the heavens from the earth and made the spirit of a man. In other words, he put into the category of spatial realms, heaven, earth, spirit. Your spirit is as big as the heavens. Your spirit is as big and vast as the heavens. 
See what he said? He put them in category because if you understand the listings of the Spirit of God, who stretched out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth, and forms the Spirit of man within him. Then he says in Isaiah chapter 66 that the heavens is my throne, the earth is my footstool. He says, where is the house you built for me? But a man of a broken and a contrite spirit, I will abide. The Most High sits on heaven. He puts his leg on earth, but he says your spirit is enough to contain him. Your spirit is vast enough. Ah, the heavens of the heavens cannot contain him. But your spirit can contain him. Because you think it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just modeled by this digits, fingers, scalpels, you know, feet. But it's beyond that. It's vast. He is expecting. Psalm 110, the verse 1. Oh, Rabali Vamovra Sandis Kefalai. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The psalmist said in Psalm 74, verse 12, For my God <laughs> is of old and worketh salvation in the earth. That my God is of old and worketh salvation in the earth. I'm going to show you something very important. In Psalm 110, the verse number one, he said, My Lord, capital L O R D, caps said to my Lord. So in the Hebrew, it is Jehovah said to Adonai. So it's God talking to Jesus. Sit at my right hand till I make thy enemies your footstool. This prophecy happened a thousand years prior to its, um, sorry, it was prophesied a thousand years prior to its occurrence. David prophesied in the spirit. And 1,000 years later, Jesus was born. Now, when Jesus was born, a lot of you don't know that his coming was warfare. How do I know this? The Bible said, interestingly, in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16, he says, for he wondered that there was no man to stand in the gap. So he, by his own strength, came down to render salvation to men. Put it up there. You know, Isaiah 59 verse 16. It's good to have visual remembrance of such things. You know, so he said that no one was made available. So he's himself, God himself, lighted down with his own might to deliver man. And how did he do it? He said, for, look, no, verse 16, good. Uh-huh. He came in his own righteousness to deliver man. Then verse 17 said this. Look at this, very powerful. For when he came to deliver man, into light, he had to dress in full armor. For he, for, you don't start a sentence for, so it means consequently because of verse 16, when God realized no one was fit, he came himself and wore the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. So when he says in Ephesians 6 verse 10, put on the armor of God, it's not a specialized one for the Christian, it is what God wears that he puts on the Christian. So just like Ahab told Jehoshaphat to wear his armor so that he would be mistaken to be Ahab. And the same way Saul said to David, wear my armor, is the same way God gives us his breastplate. So the breastplate of righteousness we have is what God has. No wonder he says, when you wear it, don't fight, stand. Because when the enemy shows up, he will recognize it's not you, it's God. So you just back off. Because your armor looks like God. Oh, Jesus. And why did he do this? Isaiah said it to us. Isaiah said it to us. I'm saying that to explain what 
he's expecting why he's expecting this he says nevertheless the dimness which was once such which was afflicted to the land of Zebulon and Naphtali. And afterward, in, in Isaiah chapter 9, and afterward he did, he, he lightly afflicted them, the land of Zebulon and Naphtali, and afterward grievously ab- afflicted them again. And he said, even in the, um, beyond them that dwell beyond the sea, in the land beyond the Jordan, even in the Galilee of the nations. The verse 2 says, for they that dwell in darkness, he has caused his light to come. And they that were in the shadow of death, he has called his light to shine upon them. Then he said, for thou hast increased the nation. Isaiah chapter 59, um, sorry, uh, uh, chapter 9, the verse number 3. He said, for thou hast increased the nation, but thou did not increase their joy. Why? Because he said, they, they have lost the rejoicing which was us in the harvest. And that rejoicing which was us men that sit before the spell to divide. But he said, but thou hast broken, thou hast broken the yoke of their burden. And thou hast also broken, oh, the rod of his shoulder. And thou also, the staff of his shoulder. And thou hast also broken the rod of the oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every backpale is fought with confused noise and garments dipped in blood. Then verse it says for unto us so if he starts the sentence with four it means Jesus being born was war was war was war it's the same way when you're born again you are born by war it's warfare that birthed you so many Christians go like I never knew I was fighting who hates me you're in war you were born into war your salvation is a protocol of war but sir, I love what prophecy said. After this war, he said, even the Lord himself. According to Revelation chapter 19, you see, in verse 5, he says, every garment is dipped in blood and fought with confused noise. Now, I'll show you the first one, the garment dipped in blood. Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, he says, and his vesture was dipped in blood and had a name, which no man knew, but the name, oh, was the word of God. In Revelation 19, verse 13, then, that was where his vesture, we see, we see from the scripture. Please, if you're fast enough, you find it. All right. So, Revelation 19, yeah, verse 13, it says, the vesture was dipped in blood. Then, the confused noise is here. The confused noise is here. Look at this. His robe is dipped in blood. Now, the confused noise is here in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. Look at it. We read it all the time, but I run away. Look at this. Cook quickly. It says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. So the Lord will descend. So our rapture will happen like this. With the, he will descend with a shout. Then the voice of the archangel. Then the trumpet of God. So three things will be sounded. That means when Jesus is coming for the church, himself will shout. So when you come to church and you're cool, the Lord himself, I love how, you know, you could have just said the Lord will descend. He said himself to explain that it is Jesus who will do the shouting. Oh. The Lord himself, while he is descending, will do it with a shout. Then the voice of the archangel announcing, then the trumpet of the Lord proclaiming. So the battle is fought with his vesture, as Revelation said, with blood. But the other side is, he will come with a shout himself. So he's won the battle. But there's something he needs from us. When he won this battle, 
thousand years later, Jesus ascended. And when he ascended, he led captivity captives, gave gifts unto men. Then there was a coronation service in the heavens, in Revelation chapter 5. He's made to sit down, sir, in front of all principalities and powers and rulers. And he's giving honor, riches, glory, honor, and power. And he said, the Lamb of God is worthy of it. That's why that song says, you know, Demons, That's Revelation 5. Jehovah, Melio, Melio. It's a glory, honor, power to the ones. So that was where the coronation service occurred. But the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 12, he was given many crowns and a throne. But there was something that was not given to him. A footstool. All oriental kings have a throne, a crown, and a footstool. But Jesus is without a footstool. Because he left that for the church. So if the church does not provide a footstool, he might not come. That means that the coming of the Lord is not necessarily dependent on him. It's also dependent on us. If you're not ready, he's not coming. He's not coming for an unprepared bride. He's not coming for a wife that doesn't want to see his face. That means until he comes, the entire church would have entered the bottle and the bubble of intimacy. All we want is him. And I pray situations does not put you there. Enter before situation does that. Because the time will come, you realize that the cars mean nothing. Lockdown gave us a little picture of it. One day I saw someone's status on Instagram. He said, Lord, forget 2020. My year of power, my year of car, my year of what? He said, forget. This, he said, my year of my, he said, Lord, forget all those, my year and resolution. He said, this is my year of being alive. He said, Lord, forget my resolution. Just make it my year of being alive. Because the way people are dying, make it my year of being alive. I'll be happy at December that I made it. Yeah. That's how lockdown put us. We realized we had no, we, our priorities were missing. Because when they put you in a state where you don't need a car again, you realize that really you are empty. When they put you in a state where you can't go to the office as manager, you realize you are empty. Then, be wise. It's the superfluity of things. Enter the depth that is God that makes me go to the office. It's God that makes me enjoy my marriage. Strangely enough, sir, during lockdown, people divorced more because they didn't know their spouses. They were hiding behind the guise of you were escaping the house and you stayed there till 11 p.m. and came. And when your wife was asleep, you came to sleep by her side, woke up early in the morning and left. Now you are with her. <laughs> ah, it's like strangers are in the house. <laughs> you are just waiting. Leave this lockdown so I can travel. He's expecting a footstool. He's expecting a footstool. He has a throne, he has crowns, but he's expecting a footstool. Joshua and Joshua chapter 10, after he won the battle against the Amorites, the Bible says he called his captains, verse 24. He said, all of you come. He said, put your neck down. And Joshua said, all his captains put their feet on the neck of their enemies. That the footstool is the resting place of Jesus' leg. And that resting place is his enemies. But don't be deceived. He's not talking of Satan. He's not talking of Satan. Because this is both messianic and millennial too. By the death of Christ, Satan was destroyed. That's why he didn't say enemy. He said enemies. So he's not talking of Satan at all here. 
He's talking of the enemy of worry. The enemy of fear. The enemy of disease. Bible even says in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy is death. Because mortality shall be swallowed up of life. And then shall come to pass the stain. O death, where is thy stain? O grave, where is thy victory? The last enemy is death. So he's talking about the enemies of God. And these enemies aren't Satan. Because I began to go on a search on why he used enemies. Then the Lord said something to me. In Romans chapter 6, the verse number 4, he says, Therefore, as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we ought also to walk in this newness of life. Then he says, Because if we are found planted in his death, then we shall be found in the likeness of his resurrection. Then the verse 6 says, Knowing this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified, that the body of sin, not sins, sin might be destroyed or being done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That means that any Christian that sins is not sinning because he's a slave of sin, but is sinning because has been contractually employed by sin. It's not the remit of slavery, it's the remit of choice. I'm going to explain something to you. Sorry. Okay, that's okay. All right. So what he's saying now is this, that the body of sin has been destroyed or done away with. Now that word body of sin literally means the organization of sin. So let's put it this way. When Jesus came, take the most, say Smirnoff of vodka, the vodka company in Nigeria. When Jesus came, he destroyed the company, set it on fire. But setting the company on fire and destroying it does not destroy the bottles of vodka in bars and shops and locations and your house. So when Jesus destroyed the body of sin, he destroyed the manufacturing point of sin. But sin had already exported its goods in the lives of people. And that's what Jesus says, I've done my job. You must destroy the one in your house. I've done my job. You must break that bottle in your house. This is the reason why we get confused as Christians. If he has destroyed the sin nature, why am I still sinning? It's the bottle of the sin. Oh, come on, someone hearing this. So the factory is destroyed. But the bottles, probably bought about, you know, people bought one year stock <coughs> of vodka, like bottles after bottles after bottles for lockdown purposes. <laughs> so a lot of you have a lot of bottles. <laughs> but it says he's waiting for all the enemies to be made this full stone. Now, the Bible also says something very unique. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder. His administration shall be on his shoulder. His administration shall be on his shoulder. This is the, this is the point. Remember, he is the head, we are the body. So if Jesus is the head of the body, John chapter 20, they entered the tomb and realized his head napkin was folded, sir but his body fabric was let loose. And that's actually Jewish indication of the word tetelestai. So if a carpenter or a technologist is doing something for your uh, stone carver, is carving something for you, and you pass by his shop and realize that, you know, even in table manners, there's a way you put your table napkin on it or your fork and spoon to show that you are done. So if, if you don't know, and you put it anyhow, you ever come back from the washroom and like, who took my food? 
Then the waiter says, I thought you were done. I'm like, how did, how did I tell you anything? The fuck and the... It's something they learn. So once they see your handkerchief, your fork, they, say, they know you are done. But you didn't know that. You were just using washroom. So I come to finish your chicken. And when you came, it's gone. <laughs> so in other words, they inspect the product. So they just pass through your shop. When they see the way the, hap- the napkin is folded. So notice, in the parable of the unrighteous, unfaithful servant, Luke's rendition says, when the Lord gave him one talent, he folded his napkin and buried it. That means he has done his work. He folded it. It means I'm complete. I'm not going to add to this. This one talent is enough. He folded the napkin. That's a, it's a Hebraism. So folding the napkin means I'm done with my work. So when you know, John and Peter entered the tomb and saw Jesus' head napkin wrapped, the Bible said it was apart from his body wrappings. Why didn't the Lord fold all the napkins and did only his head? He was telling us something. As the head... I finished my part. As the body, you ought to fold my body wrappings. So when he says, I've destroyed Satan, I finished him as the head. But you, my body, must put him under his footstool. You know, the name Joshua is the Hebrew name of Jesus. That's what Zechariah said. I saw Joshua the high priest. It's the name of Jesus. And that's why Hebrews 4 said, Joshua could not bring them into rest. But Joshua spoke of another rest. So, Joshua was a typology of what Jesus is. Joshua was the general. He didn't put his leg on their head. He said his captains should do it. The body and the head. He is the head. He is seated. But his body must enjoy the victory as he also enjoyed it. So he says, I'm bringing your enemies. Make them your footstool so his leg can rest. So his leg is part of the body of Christ. But you know the interesting thing about the body? The feet is the last point of your entire stature. That means that what Jesus is saying is this. He is not coming until the least amongst us, spiritually, faith-wise, economically, has the capacity, has the capacity to dominate the enemy. Until the least amongst us has the ability to handle Satan. That's what he's talking about. So it means the church that is going to be born for his coming is the church doesn't have pastors as the superstar. They have pastors as the technical directors. Put your leg there. Pray like that. Declare that. Then when they receive the glory, we are not even tempted to say, I showed you. Because the glory belongs to Jesus. There's no, there's no copyright infringement in the spirit. So technically, there's nothing like plagiarism in the spirit because the source is the Holy Ghost. Yes. Else you feel prideful and say, ah, he's preaching my message. He must have listened to me. No, he listened to the Holy Ghost. What if it's the voice of God speaking to all nations at the same time? And eight people heard it on the earth. And the person you are hearing also is heard what you heard. Because God speaks at the same time. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. So he's waiting for the least amongst us to have authority. The least amongst us to be powerful over fear. But can I tell you something? Don't waste your time trying to fight lions when you've not dealt with dogs. You're trying to conquer the world, but you've not conquered yourself. So Paul said, everyone that strives for mastery is temperate in all things. That means John 7, 37, 38 
On that last day of the feast, he stood in the temple saying, anyone that thirsts, let him come and drink. Then out of his bellies, Christians like jumping process. So we go like, out of my belly shall flow rivers. What causes that to happen? You must first drink. So it starts with your first participation that causes rivers to bless others. If the word of God has not blessed you, it ain't blessing nobody. If the word of God does not minister to you, it ain't ministering to a single soul. So you must drink first. You must participate in his glory. You know why? Uh, you, have been, you have been given a mandate for, to be sent. But Jesus knew it and says, when he appeared to them, John 20, he says, receive the Holy Ghost. Then he says, tarry again for the Holy Ghost. Ah, didn't you just receive the Holy Spirit? But there's a dimension, he says, tarry for the Holy Spirit. John 20 says, when he appeared, Shalom, Alakim, receive the Spirit. Yet he says, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Then he says in Matthew 28, the verse number 18, he said, behold, all power is given unto me. Before he goes to 19, he's, anytime you read the Bible, you see, therefore, now, for, it's coming from somewhere. Go back. He said, go ye therefore. So that therefore is because all power is the energy by which you go. Because when people don't answer to words, they answer to power. So there's a power dimension to evangelism. Truly, they want to stop, but something's holding them back. So you ought to break that spirit first. So they can be free to hear the word of God. Sometimes you even have to rebuke the spirit so their ears will be open to hear what you're saying. And you know why I say they should tarry? He was fulfilling the prophecy where he says, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, God lightly, he lightly, by the last day, grievously afflicted them because he was sending light to them that dwelt in darkness. And the shocking thing is that Galilee was where Jesus did most of his ministry. He did it by Zebulon and Naphtali, by Port City. This is the explanation for why his fame spread abroad. Because he was doing it at a shipping city. So people, that's why he met the Syrophoenician, he met Grecians, because they, it was a trading town. So it was a conglomerate of diasporans. Different people were there. But the point is, Zebulon is designed like a harp. The mountains of Galilee surround is designed like a harp. Oh, time of me together. But don't joke with these worldly songs that are coming out. It is the counterproduction of hell to reprogram creation. Can I tell you something? Creation was made with music. Job 38, verse 4. He laid the foundations of the earth set the lines all upon it. Then verse 7 says, in Job 38, the verse 7 says, the morning stars sang and the sounds of God shouted for joy. No wonder Isaiah 55 says, he said, you shall go forth being led and shall walk in peace, being led forth in peace. The mountains shall sing because melody is engineered in their foundation and the trees shall clap their hands. That's why when you even give birth, 
you put your baby under music, the brain grows differently. That's why there are songs you didn't have to learn the lyrics of. You just sat in a taxi and one morning you woke up to do worship. You knew it word for word. One hearing. That's why the prophet said, bring me a minstrel so that I can enter the realm of creation. <laughs> so when, the, when we come to church and the choir is singing, the choir, you got you to gotta know you are creating things. So you ought to watch your state of your spirit. Because it's called music. It's for musings. What you contemplate about is what leaves your words. So we are hearing you say something, but the, your, 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 your depression, your frustration is coming to us. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. As the river flows, it begins to bring everything to life. The life-giving river. Let it flow right here, right now. As the river flows, it begins to bring everything back to life. It's a life-giving river. Let it flow right here, right now. Look at this. Look at this. It's so pala la la desh kavada. Praso bali kefele le besos. Mafala aktaru satira santo bolololololi. Silekori talabara nashas. But I said, in all of this that shall be done. Jacob called the sons in Genesis 49. He says, call me my sons, that I may tell them the things that shall behold them in the last days. And when they came, he said to Zebulon, Zebulon shall be a dwelling haven at the sea. He shall be a haven for the ships. A kolabadis kafalaya. Rasombali katalu varaba. He shall dwell at the borders of the sea. Then he came to Naphtali and said to Naphtali in the verse number 21 of Genesis 49. He said, Naphtali, it's a hind let loose. He shall give forth goodly words. Now the word beautiful words, the same word just written in Romans chapter 10. How beautiful are the feet of them that come bringing glad tidings. So the good tidings is the gospel. So he said, Naphtali is a hind let loose that releases the gospel. Because Zebulon shall be the dwelling place in the verse number 13. Zebulon shall be the dwelling place for ships. He will dwell by the coast of Sidon. So your evangelism is a product of a war. So you just don't go up like that. You have to be clad. Full with the cloak of zeal. Because there's nothing painful. A missionary was preaching to a Zulu king and said, Jesus Christ is coming soon. He came to die for our sins and brought joy and salvation to the nations. And he was saying, so you must receive him because he's a solution to your problems. He will bring joy to you. And the man was speaking with a stern countenance and downcast face. And the Zulu king got excited and asked him, sir, did he die for you too? And he said, yes. And he said, but he's coming. And soon we shall bring glory. And we shall be excited. And the Zulu king started bouncing around. And he said, excuse me, sir. Is he coming for you too? Because you don't look as excited. That's what you're saying. So the words you preach is not yet gospel. If it sounds like the person coming has to pay something. 
So we preach and people are scared to come to church because it seems there's something they still have to do. So you see some of the tattoos are like, nah, the tattoos are too much. How are we clean it? It's not your business. It's not your business. Let them come. Let them come. And, oh, a lady came from one of our fellowship meetings sir, and apparently had done very dangerous piercings in all intimate places in her body. I didn't know. I was just preaching a simple message. I didn't know. And the Holy Ghost started talking to her. I, I didn't talk about, no, that was not what I was preaching. I was preaching something about God's love. And she said in the service, the Holy Ghost said, today, when you get home, get it off. Oh my God. She said she went to take her father's plier. He said the voice was so strong and insistent. When she showed me that testimony, the Holy Ghost said to me, says, while Jesus was preaching, that had nothing to do with healing, the power of God was available. If you give goodly words, people will submit themselves as free will offerings. Because in the day of his power, the people shall be willing. They must come that day again. But we begin to say, men and brethren, people of Israel, and as we talk, the people will rather shout and say, Sir, the preaching is too much. What shall we do? But now we cough, we huff, we scream at crusades and only two people show up. We got to check what we are saying. And we ought to check whether we went in warfare. So we go, clap. We become Zebulon and Naphtali. We give goodly words. Say, are you saying everything I'm done? Don't worry, calm. The person tells you that you plan to hear dangerous things and still smile and say, follow me. That's not the place to advise the person stop. It's not they can't stop if they could stop. They know it's bad. That's why they don't do it openly. So they can't stop. Stop telling them stop. No, it's not. Say, hey, are you smoking weed? Follow me with the weed. Let's go to church. Then we'll know whether the presence of God is there. A young boy came to me and said, man of God, I've been smoking weed for a long time. And one day I tuned into your service. He said, it's been two months. I have no passion for that stick. It's left. I can tell you to stop and you'll pretend. But from time to time you'll fall and that Sunday won't see you in church. It's called the law of sin. Even as you are sitting here, it's at work. Oh yeah. So Paul said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Because it was a Roman sentence, sir. When you murder someone, the dead body is tied to your back. That's where we get the English word, dead weight. So the person is dead and they tie him to your back. You go to market with the dead body. You go to the bathroom with the cadaver. That was your punishment for murder. And Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? What it means is this. Anytime you want to do anything spiritual, the body dies. That is why the good you want to do, you struggle. Because the body is opposing you, not giving you enterprise. So when you come to church, the body dies. So you are struggling to keep up alert. You want to stay away. Why are you feeling sleepy? Well, you slept enough. But let's close this meeting. The body will resurrect. <laughs> Which match are we watching today? Who is playing match today? Which party is underground? Ah, it's 11 p.m. It's 11 a.m. From 11 to... Uh, where can I go? Where can I go? The body of death. It comes alive when it's not God. Ah. The moment it is God, I want to fast. Do you know you can go on a keto diet? 
you can go on intermittent fasting for 72 hours. You never thought of ulcer. Till the church says we are doing three-day fast. You are like, mm, blah. we'll get ulcer. Don't fast. The moment you wake up at 9 a.m., oh, you know, you have this enhanced sensory capacity. You can smell Akara seven miles away. Mm, who is frying Akara? And the Akara cellar is seven streets away, but your nose is peaked. You can smell everything. Can you smell? <laughs> can you smell it? He said, I don't smell it. Yeah, something is, I smell it. It's enhanced. The body of death. That's why you got to be smart. Paul says, I beat myself. The spirit must know that the body will say no. So having this knowledge, you should know anytime you want to do anything spiritual and revelatory, that the body will die. That means that when you are walking, there's extra weight. You are carrying twice your body size. So it seems more difficult to give. It seems more difficult to give for God. But when I want to give to the family, when I want to sponsor a wedding, when I want to give so that my friends will be impressed, it's easy to claim my account. And when it comes to church, all kinds of excuses come. The body has died. Are you sure that one million is not too much? How much do they even give in the church? This thing you are giving, the pastor will swallow it. That's why we came here, we did abracadabra, and the hotel said, use the hall. But the body of death will never give you reason. So let's vote for a beauty pageant. Because the person is your cousin, you will spend 7 million naira on data. Vote, 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 vote. But when it comes to the one that will provide life, the body dies. So it's hard. Excuses. 7 million is too much. Ah, why? Did you kill Jesus? Are you Judas? You are not paying ransom. Cool down. The body of death. But when you were in the world, and the girl said, oh, I'm in Abuja, I want to come to Lagos. Ah, how much is the flight? Where will you sleep? You paid effortlessly. It so happened that it's after everything, you're like, ah, the girl used jazz. He didn't use jazz. It's the body that was alive. But he's coming for a church. And it says, Rule thou in the midst of thy enemies. Because he will command his scepter out of Zion. Zion here speaks of the church. Hebrews 12, 12, uh, 22 down to 20, 25. He said, we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels. So, so Mount Zion is the church. So he says, God will send the rod of his authority out of Zion. And he has given us a name. A name that is high above every name. The next time you are casting out a devil, don't ask their name. He gave you a name to handle the problem. He didn't say, Let the spirit should tell you his name. He said, I have given you a name. So when you get there, in the name of Jesus, you spirit of infirmity, whatever your name is, out. He gave you the name. Don't look for their name. But it says, look at what verse 3 says. Let me end with this one. We come in the name of the Lord. We clothed in Zion. We clothed in His blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We come in the name of the Lord. We are clothed in the vesture of blood. 
We have his name on our lips. We come in the name of the Lord. The gates shall open for us. The doors are flung open for us. Lift up your heads, all ye gates. Oh, be ye lifted up, all ye everlasting doors. Because the King of glory is riding upon us. Now listen, listen. Verse 3, Psalm 110, verse 3. He says, he says, what does he say? Can, can you put it up for me? Oh, 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 thou hast the dew of thy youth. He spoke about the beauty of holiness. I'm going to say something that's going to liberate you and help you. For your people shall be volunteers, perfect, in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness. The Bible says in Psalm 29, the verse number 2, that give the Lord the due, his name, the glory due his name. He said, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Uh, Exodus 28 verse 2 says, and to Aaron thy brother, give holy garments. He used the word holy garments. So that, he said to Aaron thy brother, so that it shall be for glory and for beauty shall be for glory and for beauty holy garments so the holiness you wear is your beautification in fact the beauty of God is holy what this means is this contrary to what we've been we've heard before holiness is not the opposite of sin he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the opposite of sin is righteousness. But the holiness parameter has nothing to do with sin. Otherwise, according to biblical interpretation, the law of first mention, the first time the word holy was mentioned was in reference to a day, not a person. Genesis 2 verse 3. So on the premise of the biblical interpretation of first principle, if the first time the word holy was used and it was used for a day, can you tell me how the day sinned? What did the day do to require that it is called holy? And the Lord God rested on the Sabbath day and called it holy or sanctified it. So he declared holiness on the day. Uh -huh. He rested on from his word. He sanctified it. The word sanctified is the word he declared it holy. Other version says he called it holy. He called it holy. Now hear this. Sanctification is the individual steps in the process of consecration. The state of the end product after consecration has occurred is what we call holiness. So when you stand apart at this realm, this realm of stands is called holy. The product is called holy. But it is called that which has been sanctified because it has finished step one, step two, step three, step four, step five up to the process of sanctification. But the entire process is defined as consecration. So the definition of the process is called consecration. The individual action steps is sanctification. Then the state is holiness. What that means is holiness means set apart. But in the Hebrew, uncommon. And actually, this is what God did. Holy brethren, 
partakers of the heavenly calling. Hebrews 3.1 Partakers of the heavenly calling. Then he now says, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh-huh. Then verse 4 said, he has also made us according as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And the word overthrow here, the word um, foundations is the word the overthrow of Satan. So before Satan was overthrown from heaven, God chose us for a purpose to be holy and without blemish which is the state of the church is coming for in Ephesians 5, 27. But the goal of that state is in love. Oh, you got to be careful doing things for God and not letting God do things for you. I repeat it. Religion says you have to. Christianity says I have done. So religion is God's, is man's way of attempting to reach God. Christianity is God's completed reaching of man that has provided a pathway. So in Christianity, you are not, he's not, he said it in Exodus, I will not forget their iniquity. But in Hebrews chapter 8, he said, their sins and iniquity, I'll remember no more. So your judgment on judgment day, is not about sin. It's about your works. God is not going to judge you, because if he judges sin, you are, oh, <laughs> the Hebrew is the pictorial rendition of the Bible. The Greek is the legal rendition of the Bible. So God was so smart. He knew that the terms of our redemption is highly legalistic. He needed a language that can express legalism more than the Hebrew language. So the Hebrew part of the Bible gives us pictures. These things were written at time that we through the examples of the writings might have comfort and hope. But the Greek gives us legalities. It gives us the foundational principles. What that means is that there is no way after God saved you is he going to judge you on the remit of sin again. I know it's disturbed you, but I'll give you a simple example in the Bible for you to go and research on. I received a prophecy recently from Baba, and Baba said to me, said, when you preach, don't preach all. Let them go and research too. So I'm, I'm following Baba's prophecy. Abraham in Romans 4, verse 19 and 20 says, he staggered not at the promises of God, but believed on, in God and gave glory to the Father. Now, that's a contradiction of Abraham's life. Because Bible says, when God told him, he laughed. Then, Bible says, he even suggested Eliezer in Genesis 14 and 15. And God said, it will be a child from your loins. He still didn't believe. He went to tell the wife, Sarah laughed. And when Sarah laughed, Bible said that she suggested, why not sleep with Hagar? After all, the child from this woman is also a child. So he laughed, suggested Eliezer. Now he went to sleep with Hagar for a child. Consistent staggering. To the extent that in Genesis 18, when the Lord visited them in their tent and said you'll be with child, they laughed. Sarah laughed. If you read the Bible, it looks like Sarah laughed first. But check it well, chapter 18. Abraham led the laughter. He laughed first. You see, at this age, which desire will I have? That's why Romans says, he saw the deadness. So even the passion to have sex was not there. 
And, the, and did he mention Sarah's passion? He went beyond that. He said, the deadness of a womb. Because at 90 plus, her womb has shrunk. The vitality to carry a baby. Her ovaries were finished. That's what the Bible said. The deadness of her womb. The womb was not alive. She was past the times of menstruation. That's why Hebrews 11, 11 says, Sarah had to receive strength to open the womb up and refresh the ovaries so that the baby would be born. And all God is telling you today is this. <laughs> Abraham has staggered many times, but the word book of life means anything that is sin, anything that is not life is not recorded. So there's the book of the living and there's the book of life. The book of life is the works that the Holy Ghost led you to do. That is what is recorded. So what it meant was that Satan found a way to reduce the chapters. Because Hebrews 10 says, I come in the volumes of the book. But for Abraham, he couldn't fulfill volumes of the book. He just filled a chapter. So they couldn't narrate his entire pilgrimage in the regards to a child. So they wrote. Look at how when God was narrating it in Hebrews 11. He believed God. Went to a land he did not know. Sergeant. That was the story. But there was no recognition in Hebrews 11 about how he believed. It was rather serious recognition. They didn't say Abraham believed to have a child. It was serious. So in the records of God's faith works, technically, Abraham didn't have faith for a child. That's why Hebrews didn't add it to his. He, Abraham had faith to live. Abraham had faith to dwell in strange lands, but didn't have faith for a child. Sarah had to now even have faith to receive strength to bear the child. So the mercy of God was this. After all Abraham did to me, his doubting, his revolt, his suggestion, his adultery, all that, I could not write the journey, how he believed well, how he trusted me, how he was patient. Go to Hebrews 11. You realize something very interesting there. Your faith life. I'm telling you something about this expectation the Lord is expecting. When I checked up, the list of the people God listed in the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. He said, time will fail me to mention Gideon and Barak. Then he says, Samson and Jephthah. Then he says, David and Samuel. But if you check the listing, Barak was before Gideon. Jephthah was before Samson. Samuel anointed David. But God swapped it. He said, David and Samson. Remember, in Hebrews 11. Now when you check Acts chapter 13. The voice spoke when they prayed. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. Along their missionary journey, God now started calling them Saul and Barnabas. So the moment, and in fact, even in Genesis chapter 10, Bible says, and Terah begat Abraham, Nauroh, and Haram. But if you check their birthing, Abraham was the youngest, but God put his name first. It is the order of priority of the one who stood absolutely in the stance of God. Barak's problem was, when God called him in Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7, he couldn't believe God's call. So he went to ask Deborah, can you assist me in what God has told me to do? He didn't believe he can do it alone. So it created a dent in the quality of his faith. He still did the work, but the quality of his faith doing it it brings me to a certain man called Amaziah. The Bible says, 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2. He served God all his life, but was not perfect before the Lord. He said he did the right thing, but was not perfect in his heart. So you he can be coming to church, but perfection is not in your heart. 
And the Hebrew word for perfection is rest from peace. So a lot of you are serving God with restlessness within. You are serving God with a grudge. God, is that what you said? Hmm, what can we do? Let's do it anyways. No. Um, is it first? Okay, go to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. So, you're serving God, but there's no peace in your heart. So you are doing all things right. Find it for me, okay, so they can see. Second Chronicles 25, verse 2. So, they, they are doing all things right, but there's no peace in your heart. I saw this list and I got scared. Apparently, the reason why God chose David, look at that. He did what was right. Now, this is a contradiction, sir. How can you do what is right in the sight of the Lord, but was not with a lawyer heart? <laughs> oh, on that day, there'll be surprises. No wonder Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15 says, verse 5, sorry. He said, when we stand before him, he will expose all the hidden works of our heart. Then every man shall receive the praise of God. The judgment of the Christian is to commendation, not condemnation. Because we are past condemnation, according to Romans chapter 8. But we are commending. God will thank you for allowing his life to flow through you when you did it. So you can be doing the right thing, but if you do it without his life, it's the wrong thing. It's the reason he says there are people, they are serving God, a form of godliness, but that denies God's power. That means that I, by myself as Adam, was able to resist temptation. I was able to resist pride. I was able to hold myself from last. You know what just happened? And the Lord was not the one that gave me the strength. What just happened was, I'm just like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and Jesus said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt honor your mother and father. And the young boy told Jesus, all my life I have fulfilled it. So what that means is that Jesus is not interested in the ability to overcome a problem, but he's interested in the ability to overcome the problem by his assistance. Otherwise, you have just told him, you didn't need to die. Because if I can overcome last by myself, then you didn't need to die. That's what his problem was. He was doing the right thing, but without the auspices of God. So Jesus, who is God, sir, I come of my own self. Do nothing. God's child, the firstborn, said he can't do it by himself. So in other words, it's true that you can pray. It's true you can fast. It's true you can preach. But if you are not commanded, you are doing the right thing, but it is not with a loyal heart. That's the beauty of holiness. When God intermingles with a man, that child you carry, Mary, is a holy thing because God is unraveled with him. So today, go and do research in your spirit. Lest Matthew 7, 21 to 23 will come upon you. We prophesied in your name. We casted out devils in your name. We did wonderful works. He didn't say devilish works. He didn't say works of iniquity. He said wonderful. But Jesus will say, I did not know him. That same word actually means I did not allow you. You did it by yourself. And that's where you, yes. I did not allow him. So he said, who will be my brother? Who is my sister? He that doeth the will of my father. That means you can do the right thing at the wrong time. And it's costing you time. Jethro said to Moses, get 70. And when you get a 70, let them help you. Lest <laughs> you die. 
and the 70 created problems for Moses. He went to God. I thought God would say, that plan is an evil plan. Suck all of them. He said, where are the 70? Bring them. That means that the problem was not the choice of the 70. The problem was the timing and the one who instructed Moses. So at that time, it was Jethro who instructed Moses. So though he did the right thing, he didn't have the right technology. So when God said, bring me the same 70, now God lifted the spirit of Moses and deposited one by one. That means that if God does not order it, there's a dimension of the spirit enterprise that cannot secure its end. That's why he must make sure. See? And this is the part that shocked me, sir. Faith is all based on one thing. Numbers 20 verse 12. And because thou didst not believe, thou did not sanctify me in my heart, in your heart, before Israel. That was when Moses struck the rod when he should have spoken. That means that at every given time T, what gives God glory is as you move. And that's why that hymn is beautiful. As you walk with the Lord in the light of his word. So everywhere you go, it's the Lord who is pacing you. And Enoch walked with God. And the Hebrew says, it was a bridal walk. So Enoch put his arm in the Lord's arm. It was an arm lock. So it was like a bridal match. The Lord takes a step takes a step and he knows God he's not looking at God because he's worked with God enough to know when God will move who has known the mind of God that he may instruct him it means the moment you know how God thinks you can precede God by giving an order and it seems as if God has to obey because you know how God thinks that the moment God sees souls he will come the moment one day God told me says anytime you preach about me don't even ask for me to be there I'm there because you are talking about me that means that by reason of that when we preach Jesus the Holy Ghost the atmosphere is different he is there you don't have to call for him. He will come. It's the reason why the preaching of your gospel should be about Christ. If he's not, if he's not part of prosperity, he will not show up. It's only where his name is mentioned and talked about that he comes to sit. So today, he's waiting for the footstool. And the way to conquer it is to do it with him by the enterprise of the Spirit. He speaks about four laws in the Bible in Romans 7. He said, there's a law in my members that warreth against the law of my mind and the law of God. He said there's another law. The Greek says heteros. The law of God is the Ten Commandments. It's external. Plus Moses' 603 commandments. Levitical laws, marital laws, all that. So it's 613 laws. It's external. But he said there's another law. Those ones are inward. The law of the mind. It is the law of good. Anytime they say, women, Submit to your husbands. Be good wives. The law of the mind is what responds. That's a good thing. I'll do it. Oh, 2022, I'll read the Bible. I'll be a better Christian. The law of the mind is working. But there's another law called the law of sin and death. Bible says it that one does not, it does, you see, the law of God demands because it said, thou shalt, thou shalt. It's a demand. The law of the mind is the response. It's a responding law. Ah, it's good to be good. It's good to give. It's good to be holy. It's responding. That's the one that makes you quickly make a resolution. The law of the mind. But that law is like the law of gravity. Even if you don't believe it's there, it's there. So you need to understand its operation. It's there. As we are sitting there, a lot of you have the law of mind there. You are making resolutions from today. Ah, I'll read the Bible. Ah, man of God, I'll be intimate with the Lord. That's the, it's good. But the moment you make that demand, another law rises. It's called the law of sin and death. You know what it does? It's worrying. It's worrying. Can you come, sir? Pastor, can you come, sir? Yes, can I use your example? So that means that 
If he is the law of the mind, he wants to serve God. So for instance, you have determined that you want to come to this side of the keyboard. Decide to come, sir. The law of sin rises up and says you won't come, but not only preventing you, it turns you in the opposite direction. So anybody, thank you, sir. Sorry for pushing you. So anytime you make a resolution, look very well. It is the very opposite you end up doing because you have activated the law and that is what Peter did. I will not let you die. And Jesus said, boy, that demand has caused another law to harm. He said, because of what you have said, you will deny me three times. You don't live by your promises to God. You live by his promises to you. The difference between Peter and John was, Peter said, I love you, Lord. But John said, the Lord loves me. Be careful what you say. Because the moment you say, I will never do this thing again. Ah, the moment you say, it's been two months since I ever, that week you feel things again. But like, I thought it was gone. A law was called by your promise. I will not gossip again. A law was called by your promise. But it's called the law of the spirit of life. It's a regulatory principle, sir. The dog is not trained to bark. It has a bark in it. The lion is not trained to roar. There's a roar in it. You know, the eagle is not even taught how to fly. When the mother eagle realizes these boys are becoming too comfortable, he begins to bring thorns and metals and stones to make the nest uncomfortable for the eaglet. And when they begin to fidget, he just lifts them up to a high tree and waits for the wind and drops them in the air. It's in them. What I mean by that is the law of God, which is put into you by the law of the spirit of life, is an inward regulatory principle like gravity. You don't need training to do like God. You need training to prevent what is preventing God from manifesting. That's, the, what, that's what training is about. Because there's already the possession in you. When you're in the world, there was something called conscience that was monitoring you. How much more now you're in Christ with life? You have received his nature. You have received his capacity. So you can be like God. So your welfare should be against the flesh. So you peel layer after layer. So that what is already in you, I say it and I'll say it here as I end. You are not going to be something new. You are actually becoming what you already are. So the butterfly is a butterfly as a lover. The metamorphosis is actually what it must become. The mango seed is actually a mango seed. If you cut the seed into two, you'll see a little midget mango tree inside the seed. So the seed is just allowing. That's why you see the seed falls and the pericarp, the externals, begins to melt, get rotten, then the life inside begins to grow. So that when your outward man is perishing, there's a germination of the inward process. This morning I call you, he's expecting his enemies to be put on his footstool. Sickness has no hold over your life. There's a life within you. You ought to just to release it. You ought to release it. And just as the eaglet drops, the, the, the eaglet is dropped by the mother into stormy winds and has to learn how to. Fish are born into water. You notice the fingerlings are just inside. The reason why the fish is in the mouth of the mother is so that it's not eaten by predators, but it still can swim. It can breathe in water already. No one taught the fish how to swim. It was born in the realm. 
The same way you were born before God. No one taught you to be like God. No wonder John said you have a spirit within you. And that spirit causes that no one has to teach you God externally. The knowledge of God is within you from the start. So you ought to have to allow the externals to conform. You need an environment to release God. And sometimes when God is not getting your attention, he sets you up in trouble so that you are so afraid. You realize your competence is not enough. Then all of a sudden you switch to who you really are. So you are walking through standards. You are walking through lightnings. But somewhere, somehow, you remember, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And you see your friend saying, I thought you would die. I thought you would lose your mind. And you sit back and say, ha this looks like it's me, but I know it's not me. Because natural me should have lost her mind. Natural me should have lost their conscience. But somewhere, somehow, I am alive today and I'm getting better by the day and I'm growing in glory. And one time, you come to a place when God has achieved his purpose. You realize there was no effort from you. And the only effort from you was your consistent interruptions of what God wanted quick time to bring alive. begin to worship speak to the Lord he didn't plan to give Abraham at 99 it's Abraham's interruption that caused the child to come late if you only waited for the Lord in fact if you read the story Stephen said God called him earlier but it was 75 he fully obeyed so the delay in Abraham's life was not God's delay. It was Abraham's stubbornness that I know how life must be. I got to figure out. I have a plan. At 25, I'll be married. At 35, I'm done giving birth. And all of a sudden, you are 40. And the marriage part has not even started. And you are feeling down. And you are still forcing your way that God, this plan must come to pass. If the marriage didn't work, if the children have not yet come, then I said at 40, I'll be a lawyer. So you are using your efforts still. And God is shaking his head. I wish you come to the end of yourself, daughter. I wish you come to the end of yourself, son, so that I can work my plan as I ought it. You didn't beg or write an application letter to come to heaven. I sent you by command and by pattern. I sent you in the volumes of the book. Will you read the book and allow me to do what I'll do upon your life? And it's as you keep doing it. You will notice it is the areas you least pray about. It's the areas you least apply faith in that works effortlessly. And you're like, I was not even praying about that. It's worked. That should immediately tell you. All the things you say you are using faith is your effort. It's your self-belief. You believe you are good enough. You have been holy enough. You have lived the righteous life enough. But the Bible said we don't come to the throne by our own righteousness. We come by the blood. We enter the Holy of Holies not by fasting, not by prayer, but by His blood. The blood has been sprinkled on me so I can enter. And when I enter, I make demands. And because God 
God is glorified when I receive an answer to my prayer. I'm not coming because of what I did, not because of my merit, but because of God. So that the next time I need God to do something, I'm going to go ask God, Lord, when is the baby coming? Lord, when am I married? Forget my friends, forget my plan. When am I married? And the Lord will say, just trust in me. Focus on me and take your mind off it. I need your attention. And you see, by the time I focus on God, whoever will come in my life is the one I've been asking God to bring all along. This morning, speak to him. Lord, there's only one requirement from the Lord. Present your members. He said, yield to the law. It's already there. Last night you were about to sleep. The Lord said, wake up at 5 a.m. You said, yes, Lord. But you woke up at 5. Sometimes you say, Lord, the right time, wake me up. Wake me up at 4.30 to talk to you. And someone held the soul of your feet. You heard your name in the corridor. The door banged. A breeze blew over your face. And all of a sudden, when you woke up, it was exactly 10 minutes to the time you said, God should wake you up. But you were like, it's 10 minutes. It's not really five. So I'm going back to sleep. And the Lord wakes you up three minutes, but it feels like a journey. And he's calling you. And you're like, Lord, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired. Let me sleep till 6.30. Then I wake up and pray. Then when you wake up at 6.30 to pray, you realize at 6.30, the body is dead. Because the law that will counter the deadness of the body is not available at 6.30. It was ready at 5 o'clock. So now 6.30, rabababa. Lord, why? Rabababa, it's not, it's drudgery, it's dry. But sometimes you sleep at 2 and you respond to him at 5. When you wake up at 5, it's asleep you've slept for 10 hours. You are energetic and you can pray and all of a sudden it's easy and you are climbing in the realms of God. You have activated by yielding to that law that is at work. When I stand, when I stand, I am yielding to the law of gravity. But child of God, there is a higher law called the law of thermodynamics and aerodynamics. The plane is being pushed down by the gravity. But aerodynamics is lifting the plane. And as the plane yields to it by speed and by taxiing, another law takes over and it becomes easier to fly. Speak to him. You will see that there are souls that are already waiting for your voice. As you walk by the street, you say, stop. Look at that gentleman. Go and talk to him. When the wind leads you to him, everything you will say, everything you will see will be a solution. And you wonder how come? Because you were led by the Spirit. This morning, open your spirit. The rivers were at the anchor level. But I still had effort. 
I could move to it. I could wade in the water. Then we came to my knees. There was still restriction, but I could direct myself at that level. Then it came to my waist. The current was heavier, but I could still move. I could still stand. But at last, oh, deep call it unto deep. At the noise of thy water sprouts, all thy rivers and thy pillows are gone over me. The water takes over. Now I can't control the current. The water carries me and I can't stand because now I'm floating. So the current of the wind and the current of the waters, they carry me. The water, the river, it flows to the land of Havila where there is gold. As the river flows, it begins to bring everything back to life. It's the life-giving river. Let it flow right, here, right now. Just be silent before the Lord. Everyone, just be silent before the Lord. I hear in the Spirit the Lord singing. And the Lord told me, He says, For every meeting that I'm pleased with, I sing over them. So anytime God gives you a song in a meeting, the Bible says, A holy solemnity. A holy festival was kept with gladness of heart. So the Lord commands his voice into that mountain. As you're silent before God, by his melody, speaking to yourselves with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melodies in your heart unto the Lord. Then you can submit yourselves one to another. Then he says in verse 20, giving thanks to God for all things. Your hearts are open. He's speaking into it right now. He's telling you some things to relinquish. The problem is not what you're having. The problem is how you're using what you have. Moses had a rod. And he saw it in Egypt many times. They turned sticks to serpents. But the serpent was often held by the head before he turned back to a rod. God said, what do you have in your hand? He said, drop it. Moses was about to hold it by the head. He said, don't touch the head. Go to the toe. He said, ah. I can be beaten, he said. If you don't take it how I said you should take it, the serpentine nature will still be evident. He said, drop it and take it by the step, the waist, the, the, the tail. He took it contrary to how he knows it should be used. Many times the problem is cognitive dissonance. We have learned things that are interrupting the way of God. It's only the spirit that causes renewal so that at every given moment, in every given time, I don't come with what I know to a meeting. I delete what I know so I can receive anew. So if God has changed direction because he's ever moving and it is what causes sin to miss the mark, when God has left the place and you come there thinking he's there, he may enter sin. This morning, I pray that the hand of God will rest mightily on you. Authority is not a product of wishful thinking. Centurion said, I'm a man of authority. Under authority, 
And I say, so without hearing instruction, you can't be a man of authority. So he said, I'm a man under authority, so I have authority. So authority is the product of pro- proximity to your commander. Turn left. And in that turning left is the authority to overcome anything that stands in your way. So authority is not just jumping out and say, I can do it. Has he said? Yes. Lucifer came in the garden and said, has God said? So all your problems can be traced to, did God say? So if you look at your life, there are many things you've done. God didn't say. And you can't guarantee that future. Thank you, Father, for the power you've released to us through your word. How profound is your word and the blessing thereof. We pray, the Lord, as we've heard it, let the engineering of the spirit store in the hard drive of heaven that our mind can regurgitate this word. That at night when we lie on our beds, we remember it. That in the morning when we wake up, it's your face we seek. That we may receive instruction for the day. That there are plans on my diary and planner. I lift it up to you and say, Lord, you know what we have to do. He said, yes, as for your work, it's even covenantal to him that once you are employed, you honor by showing up. So that's not an area he interrupts. But every other area. As for your children, your family, it's covenantal by reason of the contracts that have put you in charge over this house. So that's not even an area God interrupts, but there are other areas. That are not the remit of covenant. You have to have this meeting. You have to go here as you submit. God to say, postpone the meeting. Change that one. When you are going past this place, get there 15 minutes to time. You will see the investors. You have a prior discussion before you do your presentation. As you are led, everything and every step, even when there is hindrance, there will be revelation. Father, we pray over your people. In this new season, let the doors and the chapters of God be open over Ecclesia Hills. Whatever it is you are releasing, let us come to the place where we are interested in presenting your enemies. Depression, worry, anxiety, faithlessness, malice, those enemies, we will present them as footstool. That the day will come, there will be oneness. Absolute love. We have all things in common so that your glory and the great grace and great power shall fall upon us. We thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 